Welcome to Crossing Faiths, where Christian and Muslim talk religion and politics. I'm Elliot. I'm here with John Pinna, and we, today we're featuring an interview with Knox Thames from the International Religious Freedom Summit. Knox Thames is an international human rights lawyer, advocate, and author who has dedicated his career to promoting human rights, defending religious minorities, and combating persecution. He recently wrote a book called Ending Persecution, Charting the Path to Global Religious Freedom, and he has helped to found the uh, Christians Against All Persecution Network, which is a website where you can uh, get resources specifically geared towards Christians for addressing religious persecution of all kinds. Welcome to Crossing Face. Uh, now we're at the Earth Summit, and I'm lucky enough to have an old, an old friend of long standing. You might, you might, you might say something different, but. Uh, Knox Thames, who I met originally at you were at Yusuf, and uh, and since then you've you've uh, been at Yusuf, the United States Institute for Peace. You're now working in an organization, Christians Against All Persecution, and you're finishing your book, Ending Persecution, while you're at the University of Notre Dame. And uh, you know we we spent a lot of time when I was at the American Islamic Congress, and even post. You know, on these issues, yeah. and so thank you so much for coming. That's my pleasure. I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of what you're doing. So I, I think uh, you came in here with a big bag. I thought we had a, a nice big lunch, <laughs> and so now all I can think about is a sandwich, or maybe some 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 nice Kentucky, you know, fried chicken, you know, because that's your home state, right? So with a, some big biscuits. But I, in all seriousness, um, you're. You, you, you walked in with your new organization, your card, and we chatted a little bit about it. Um, and and it, it hits home pretty good because it's uh, called Christians Against All Persecution. So what was the motivation behind that? So it's a sense that um, I know from my work in the U.S. government for 20 years, I would meet different persecuted communities. Often they were Christians. Um, but when Christians are persecuted, almost always their neighbors are facing persecution as well. Um, in, in my faith community, there's a pretty sizable movement focused on the persecuted church, and that's a, that's a good thing. We want to help our brothers and sisters. But at the same time, I think, as I read the Bible, as I read the, the teachings of Jesus Christ, I think we're called to do more. We're called to help our neighbor. And so we started Christians Against All Persecution to create a network of uh, like-minded believers who really follow the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 10. And everyone knows it, but it's, it's worth repeating. You know, there was, uh, Jesus was being quizzed. He was being challenged by a lawyer, of course, a teacher in the law saying, what does it take to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, love the Lord your heart. Love your Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so the lawyer, being a lawyer, came back with another question and said, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to stump Jesus which is usually a bad idea. And so Jesus comes back and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. So there was a man traveling who was beset upon by robbers, left, left to die. Two religious leaders from his community don't help him. They pass by on the other side. And the hero of the story is the Samaritan. Now in first century Holy Land, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They viewed each other as different religiously. They viewed each other as different ethnically. And so I believe that Jesus choosing the Samaritan to be the hero, the Samaritan who reached across 
religious lines, ethnic lines, to save someone else just because they were in trouble is the lesson that we should be applying today to issues of religious persecution. And so much like many Christian organizations are feeding the poor, not asking if you're a member of our church or not, I think we need to have the same mentality when we're promoting religious freedom. That's religious freedom for everyone, for my fellow Christians, but also for my Muslim brothers and sisters, Hindu, atheist, Baha'i, whomever, because we believe in human dignity, because Christ tells us to go and do likewise in the example of the Good Samaritan. So we're trying to start this, and we're, we're sort of rolling it out today, this week, here at the Earth Summit. Right on. I mean, it's, it's refreshing. Um, I just talked with, with uh, David Curry, and he, we were chatting about his, they're putting a de- together a database, and one of the big things was uh, making sure that, that we could have sort of data-driven decision-making, mm-hmm. right, for yeah. policy and funding. And, and, but look at all faiths. Yep. And, and you know there was sort of this bell curve over the last 10, 15 years of making, finally figuring out who's the most persecuted yep. and then devoting uh, funding in that direction. Yep. Uh, and it was frustrating for a lot of faith groups. Uh, and so um, it's definitely timely that you're doing something like that, but it also feeds into the idea of Urfa. Yep. Um, Absolutely. You know, freedom to believe, to change, believe, not believe, change, and choose, right? And so, um, so you're rolling it out, and so what's 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 the type of action items that that this organization is gonna? Well, if you go to our website, it's uh, capnetwork.org, C-A-A-P network, one word, dot org. We have resources for uh, Christians to uh, understand the story of the Good Samaritan, the the call to go and do likewise, the concept of human dignity, love of neighbor. Uh, we have a Bible study, actually, a four-day Bible study that will lead Christians through uh, reading different passages of Scripture, time of reflective prayer, to think about what can they be doing uh, to pray for those who are suffering, both our own and our neighbors. Uh, it's a bit of education. This helping the church understand that persecution doesn't just affect Christians. It's a pandemic of persecution, impacting people of all faiths and none. And we are to, I think we should be first in line to be advocating, first in line to be praying. Um, so I guess at its core, really right now, it's about education, just sort of encouraging our brothers and sisters of the, in the church to open the aperture a bit wider, to think about, okay, what can we do to help anyone who's suffering? Because God tells us to love our neighbors, because we believe in human dignity. Um, and it, it can build it out from there. So this is, we're very young. Um, myself and Emily, we're, we're trying to find ways to, just interject this idea into the conversation and church circles here in America. I, I appreciate the intra-faith component of that. Uh, it's something that we do with Muslims. Muslims, yep. but it's 80% intra-faith, engaging the Ummah, you know, just to govern our own, so that we can make sure that yep. we can figure out. And govern is not the right word, but to engage, so that we can move in one in, in, in one step uh, when it comes to dignity of the human person and religious freedom, that sort of things. But um, I wanted to. Uh, ask you about your your book here, you, ending persecution. Which, you know, that's it's a big, bold, big bold statement. That's, <laughs> yeah. So aspirational, aspirational. So, but because you know the the challenge is is that since Irfa, religious persecution has been on the rise. Uh, we have now that we had the ministerial, which was something that was long, long, um, long was long coming. We had talked about something like that at the roundtable for years about something like that, and now we have the Earth Summit. And, you know, you're one of the founders, the founding, you know, people of the round table. You know, from your vantage point on where things are with uh, 
religious freedom, measuring religious freedom, the rubrics, you know, you, you know what they are and you know how contextualized models work. What do you think, what do you think it is a way in which um, not, we have just something like your organization, which is like an interfaith component, but something that is going, to, the, the, the items within your book of ending persecution, what do you think, the, what are the elements in there, that the stuff of that, the manna of it? Great question. I think this is where I, I, I'm shifting to a different audience with the book. The book is really targeted towards policymakers, advocates, um, specifically in the United States. And because of the International Religious Freedom Act, we have been a global leader in promoting religious freedom. But over the past 25 years, instances of persecution still occur. They're, they're on the increase. They're seemingly impacting every community everywhere. So in the book, I, I kind of have a call for a recommitment to this and thinking about how we uh, refresh, uh, rebuild, expand the tools that were created in the last century for persecution in the 21st century. So I identify four different types of persecution, and then I have chapters that then go through with sort of what we tried to do when I was at the State Department, when I was at USERF, what worked, what didn't, uh, some ideas for new areas that we should be going. But the core, the core call is the United States has a crucial role to play to be that voice, to be that advocate, because no other country has the influence, power, reach that we do. And if we say religious freedom matters, then it should matter in how we conduct our bilateral relations, our multilateral relations, and too often we pull back when we should push ahead. And so the book has ideas to try to reinvigorate that, re-inspire that um, at this moment when persecution is on the rise and global instability is spreading. Can you, can you give me an example of, what, of when, when, when we pulled back instead of pushing ahead from your career, you know, something that would be anchor this? So I talk a lot about, about, you know, the case of Asia Bibi in Pakistan. Ah. She was the foremost prisoner of conscience in the world for almost a decade. Um, in a certain sense, her story is a success story because we were able to get her out. We were able to uh, see her family and herself uh, get to Canada where she lives in safety. And I had the honor of meeting her two years ago in Toronto and I speak with her. Um, but at the same time, while we were working in that one case, yeah. About a hundred other people were arrested for the same crime. Right. Um, the government continues to push, while we designated them as a country of particular concern, Pakistan, the United States waived any sanctions. So there was never any muscle put behind our statements urging Pakistan to reform, urging Pakistan to stop arresting people. And because we didn't create consequences, I talk a lot about consequential diplomacy, that when we say religious freedom matters and a country continues to violate then there should be a consequence right. because if there's not what are we saying we're just are we being hypocritical we're being euphemistic are we lying um and so if we're going to talk this talk we need to walk the wall are we being and, genuine you know yeah right and when we fail it kills our credibility it erodes deterrence and the victims continue to suffer so it's, it's a lose, lose, lose across the board when we don't push our values and, and represent who we are as a people in all our engagements. What's an, what's an example of from your career of where we pushed that, where we did push forward, yeah. where we didn't pull back? So I talk about um, the work I did on Uzbekistan, where um, when the new, the, not new president anymore, but when Mir Zioyev came into power, there was a, a, a desire to recent the relationship with the United States. 
we, we were able to credibly um, hint that if reforms didn't weren't made, the CPC waiver would go away. And that gave our engagement some strength that they don't normally have. And at the same time, we provided carrots that if you uh, follow the recommendations of the UN Rapporteur on Religious Freedom to let people out of jail, create a better registration system, allow kids to go to mosque, these kind of basic things, we would we would highlight the progress that your new government is making, Mr. Mirzulia. And it worked. Now, Uzbekistan is not, it's not perfect, um, but I think if it's, you know, if you're looking at the stock market, it's trending in the right direction. There are ups and downs. There have been a few step backs lately, um, and that's something you want to continue to push them to reform on, but they're light years better than they were under Kremov because the CPC throw-off was credible. Well, and they come from such a, you know, when the republic, uh, when it became a democratic republic, they kind of just word-searched all these documents that were made in, uh, uh, you know, during the during the the, uh, the the Stalin years when they became a, a you know a, Soviet, a socialist republic, right? So he's socialist republic, and it, and the, I know the one or is the law of religious organization, and, and basically they took out you know you know CCCP and then turned around and said you know the Democratic Republic of, and so it was so restrictive. To, they loosen it every few years, and the, and they it's hard to measure when something is so restrictive to move forward. You know, because I my first ten years of my career is in those the republics. So, um, so I, I it, it's it's worthwhile to to to, to celebrate multi faith ways. Um, you know, like you know the flourishing Jewish and Christian communities in the UAE. You know, something like that. But so at the Earth Summit here, so you're here with the new organization. You've got your book that that's coming out, uh, and you know you're you've been slugging it out in the Earth world for a while. You know. Um, What's what's the what do you, what, what, what do you, where do you see the Earth Summit right now, and where do you see um, as a as as and where where do you see it going as as a convening element? You know, I think we got to remember that this gathering is exceptional to have people of all faiths and men coming together around the concept that everybody has freedom and thought, conscience, religion, belief. You know, theologically, we, many many of these groups couldn't agree on the time of day. Well, we agree that in human dignity, we agree that everyone has the right to set the course that their soul can pursue without uh, interference or punishment from man or government. Um, and so this is, this is a good news story. But the challenge is how do we take advantage of these gatherings to make sure that it's just not a nice uh, time to catch up with old friends, but we actually are developing relationships, strategies, so that the day after, those people who want to help, we're going to be able to help better. Because if we just enjoy the time together and forget that there's a world that's hurting, that are men, women, and children who are suffering because they're not able to practice their beliefs, then this is half the time. But I'm, I'm inspired by so many activists who are here who I know want to find ways to impact uh, the world for good. And uh, this is exciting. And I've been telling, this is Elliot's first Earth Summit, so I, I told him the money is where those, is all those advocate tables. Each one of them has like a persecuted group, and they're coming, many, many cases, saved their pennies for a long time just to come here to advocate for their crew, you know, and what's going on. And so, you know, that's what it's all about, because there's the business of Earth, right, you know, and then, but then there's the idea of, of, 
affecting and ending persecution on a global level, and you have to be inter in engaging with those populations. So, but I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, you know, it's good to see you again. So, John, what are your thoughts on this interview? Uh, so, now, since I, and actually a long-standing friend and colleague, we've spent a lot of time <clears throat> with each other with each other over the last, I guess, twenty-five years. So it's uh, it's 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 a special envoy for religious minorities and for and it's a special envoy for South and Central Asia, as well as a staff on user for a long time, United States Commission for National Religious Freedom, and was a fellow at USIP, the United States Institute for Peace. <clears throat> That's kind of after our time, though. Well, yeah, it was it was you know I know it was refreshing. It, it, I think we like I said going into the summit, it was interesting to see. There was a more broader base of individuals that were looking at advocating for large for for people of all faiths, people that believe and don't, and those that believe and don't believe, on a, like a broader scale. And Knox, you know, is sort of the, the twilight of his career. He's written this book about ending persecution, but his organization focuses on his, with how, you know, this, this evangelical Christians and what evangelical Christians need to do to just, to not just advocate for themselves, but advocate for a larger, the, for the larger populations out there. And I think that that was an innovation that uh, is, is, is an innovation that in a, in a Christian evangelical group that is uh, is is groundbreaking. There are groups that say it. There are groups that 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 may help others. Um, like World Vision is a, has a multi faith staff, but they're not an international religious freedom organization. They're more of an international development organization. But when it comes to there's like you know in defense of Christians, inter international Christian concern. There's the Jubilee campaigns, and all these groups are really focused on sort of Christian persecution. But his his organization, the innovation of it is, is that he's looking into scripture about how to, and and the, the example he gave is that Samaritan, you know, the good Samaritan, and circling it back to say that in order for us to operationalize Christ, our, our our Christian Christianness, you, we need to be advocating for all those other vulnerable groups out there, and. Uh, and so, and he's anchoring all of this in prayer and anchoring all this in scripture, which is an innovation. Uh, you know, because you, you, in, in this field, you know, you have organizations that advocate for religious freedom, but only, only, but only hire Christians, but then really are more conservative Christians. And then they're really kind of hedging on this just war concept, you know, within Christianity. And trying to figure out all different ways to to aggregate funds to do to push their their agenda, but his organization and and his work post USERF and, and USIP seems to be focused much more on on this broader URFA concept of you know those that believe that don't believe in changing and choosing, and how Christians should respect that and and step forward which is by by you know operationalizing that sort of missionary element in helping people so it's, it was a, it was a really nice conversation it was good to see him it was nice to chit to catch up and then it was also uh, 
like, is it surprising, not from Knox, because they know who he is and what he's about, but it's surprising within the movement that, that he was able to kind of put something together that really is needed, I think, within the, the Christian community. You know, much like when, when, I, in, when, I, in, when I started in, in 2009 with the American, American Islamic Congress with making that, making religious freedom an anchor point, you know, there, there had been no organizations that have been advocating for religious freedom. It was sort of like respect, but it was, there was tolerance, but there was now, we need to kind of advocate for those who are Muslim and not Muslim, you know. And so it was really neat for him to, to, to be here that he was doing that. I mean, you were there at the interview. What did you think? Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, <clears throat> the I hesitate to use the term Judeo-Christian perspective and Muslim also believes in a God, you know, that we, we see represented in the Old Testament, a, a God who um, in certain places states that he is um, opposed to uh, oppression and injustice of all kinds everywhere. It's against his character. And so there's this thread in Christianity that Christians also should be aligned with this God who is fundamentally opposed to all injustice, all oppression. And that means that we should be worried about more than just injustice and oppression towards Christians. And so I think that Knox is picking up on this and trying to advocate for it. Um, the, the blurb on the, the website, which is caapnetwork.org, says, if Christians became vocal advocates for their own and the right of everyone everywhere, it would open doors to demonstrate God's love to a hurting world in their moment of need. It will shock the world. It will br build bridges and help Christian minorities struggling in other contexts to show love to their neighbors. It will be a witness. It would alleviate suffering. It would set all captives free. It shows love of neighbor. It helps the least of these. I, I think I'm interested in this phrase, it will shock the world. Because basically the subtext as I read it is that if Christians actually do what Christians say they do, they'll do, or if the Christians actually care about what Christians say they care about in a demonstrative way, the world would be shocked into sort of paying attention to the Christian message, which to me, maybe I'm reading into it too much, but that sounds like an interesting concession. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, <clears throat> I think that's, that, that's, that's the big sell, you know, that, that, that's the big sell. I mean, that was my, when I was very vocal about making the, you know, about pushing this agenda and getting started in it, you know, when we started the International Religious Freedom Roundtable and some of the other stuff, it was, it was like, look, you know, we, we're not, I, I I'm not about conversion so it wasn't my that wasn't my jam but the but the idea is that look we you know we're first of all collectively we're stronger right we all believe in something so collectively you know we all need to kind of make sure that we're on the same page when dealing with oppressors and generally you know that what is it what i can't remember the phrase but so I, a friend of mine used to say this all the time if you're if you're not at the table if you're not, if you're not, if you're not invited to dinner, then then, then sooner or later they'll be eating you. Something like that. You will be dinner. <laughs> something like that. Yeah, I don't right, really said that. Um, It'll come to you. Yeah, but it's something like that, and you guys get the gist, you know. And so, um, 
I, I think that the, the challenge is, is, you know, the idea of, of you know, part of our reason why I know a lot of these guys and I'm out there and stuff like that is because in many cases, you know, Muslim hadn't stepped in and said, you know, for religious freedom. For you. Right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in, 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 at NAIC, we, we, we got, and even up to this day, but we got prisoners of conscience released, you know, Zoroastrians. You know, I remember as a, we got a, a Christian, a Coptic Christian in Egypt released. We got an Iranian woman released. I mean, it, you know, we got to, all different types of Muslims advocated for them. And, and so, but all different faiths and uh, worked a lot with Indian Christians. Worked a lot with uh, uh, a, a lot of the different groups that were out there. And it was, and a lot, many times it was like the first time a Muslim had stepped in mm-hmm. and and motive and act and act and operationalized resources. So I mean, a lot of the events that we did at that time were collaborative with like IG and Super Global Engagement. So we did a lot of events to like highlight the issues that they were dealing with, or we would have an issue and then they would come on. But you know, we had money because we had the capital super speaker series. We had good donors. We had. You know, we, we were flushed with cash. And so a lot of these organizations didn't have it at that time. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, we kind of helped them through their sort of tough phase as being a nonprofit um, and said, well, yeah, well, we'll do this event with you, you know. And, and then, you know, there'd be some tense negotiations, not, not super tense, but tense negotiations about, okay, this is where we, you know, we got to be careful about this. You know, we have to, meaning that we, we should be, you know, even handed and say, it's not just Christians, it's this, it's that, it's so and so. But uh, I think Knox is the conversation with Knox. Obviously, was was more endearing to me because we uh, hadn't seen each other in a while. But the fact that he's stepped out of sort of the bureaucracy of Earth and is doing something really cool is really neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the the issue of religious freedom goes hand in hand with something like free speech, where uh, free speech is only successful if I not only defend my right to free speech, but defend yours as well, even if what you're saying is something that I don't agree with or even like. Right. Right. As soon as I'm, you know, advocating for my own free speech while oppressing oppressing yours, then the whole argument has been lost at the outset. Yeah. I've killed it. And that's surprisingly difficult for people to grasp apparently uh, we see interesting situations like you know to, to to whatever extent it's actually happening the, the the situation in florida where you have people who are you know simultaneously militantly defending their own free speech while trying to get all these books banned from public discourse or from from student discourse um and they, they're just like they're basically missing the point right right and so the point of religious freedom is that it has to be for everyone and yeah i definitely um admire what uh knox thames is is trying to do in this area i made a point of of asking him um at the end of the interview i don't think it's on the recording but i asked him you know regarding the uh christians against all persecution network which is you know uh, he described it it's a basically an informational resource and if you go to the website, you can see, you can get links to resources that talk about the issue of religious persecution in general. Um, they also have 
uh, a, a Bible study, a multi-day Bible study uh, that you can use in a church context or a personal context, and some uh, prayer guides, which it looks like they're still in the process of adding. Um, so it's, it's, he described it as really an educational resource at this point. And so I asked him, you know, where do you see this? If it's successful, where do you see it going in one year or in five years? And he said, well, hopefully it will make itself irrelevant. Right. So he's got these very high ideals in terms of, I mean, his book is called Ending Persecution, um, Charting the Path to Global Religious Freedom, um, the, the title of which implies that, that such a thing as global religious freedom is possible. Right. Um, and, you know, he, he says the, the, the goal of his um, educational resources are to eventually make themselves un, unnecessary. Right, which is is very lofty, right? Um, and to to me, I find that admirable. But I also um, there's there's a part of me that wonders if maybe it's more useful to set specific, discrete goals. Well, I think <clears throat> here's the thing. I would I, I, I'll, I'll be going to be in Knox's camp on this one. There's, there is, I think, coupled with good Christianity, is idealism. And too often, I think you could say good religion is idealism, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have to single out Christians. But in this case, because Knox is a Christian. I think that that's it's lost, <clears throat> and I, 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 you know, I'm not gonna. I'm, this has nothing to do with Knox. This has to do with my observations over the last twenty years. Most Christian groups, advocacy groups in the international religious freedom space, are advocating for three things. We're the most persecuted. We've talked about that a lot on the podcast. We're the most persecuted. In order to be religiously free, we need, you know, you need to let us convert you. One way or another, uh -huh. predatory, coercive, or just, you know, giving you a choice, which is fine. And the third has been, let us be in charge of the, of the birth movement because the, the religious freedom done right is done from a Christian perspective, a Christian beach. So those are the three narratives that have been involved in the, in the movement from a Christian perspective. And, and I, I could put, I, maybe it's, it, there's definitely a period there. I don't know if there's a period with a triangle around it, but it's period. So, Nanc's idealism, in this case, was not only refreshing, it was like well-placed, yeah. right? It's to end all persecution. So you need to get into, you need to get, you know, you need to get in the trenches on everybody, with everybody. Right. Um, and, but then it's also, I'm, like Muslims for Muslims, 80% of what we do is intrafaith stuff. So he's he's turning inward, which is where it's needed. It's not like, oh, you know, all the Christians are fine because they're Christian. So they get a pass. Right. Regardless of how, you know, I, I you know, Knox is a, is, a, is a lawyer. So, you know, he's very judicious with things. So I can see that he's saying, well, you know, are you applying this in a broad base? Are you applying this to, you know... And so I think that there's that, that idealism serves not only the agenda 
well, the Earth Agenda well, but it's, it is an innovation. Um, you know, sometimes you talk with a lot of these groups and they're, they're sort of this double tongue. They're like, we're going to, you know, we need to aggregate all the funds because we need to control the religious programming that's out there mm-hmm. and make sure that, you know, the lion's share goes to our community. Yeah. Um, or to a community that we'd like to build in the Middle East. So, um, I mean, the lion's share of publishing, controlled by Christians. The the lion's share of scholarly journals, controlled by Christians, evangelical Christians. Um, the lion's share of programming, all you know, the the aggregation of all the funds, majority of funds, better than ninety percent go to Christian groups. Yeah. Uh, and and Knox is the only one that explicitly says that they're for everyone. And then is turning inward towards his community, but also not, you know, he's trying to, he understands, there's the other innovation is he understands that there, there needs to be some education yep. about within the idealistic sort of, within the ideals of, of you know, Jesus's uh, uh, priesthood and what that means within the Samaritan story and, and, and the other sort of biblical anchor points when it comes to helping the other yeah and so i mean it's it's first of all it's no small feat and i'm sure that that there are a lot of christians out there christian groups out there they're like you know okay you know you're right you know we do that too you know and you know and but they're not saying that they're chest out you know at the podium yeah you know so um you know in large part the movement to say that we are the most persecuted group, the, the Christians, has aggregated a lot of funds, uh, has certainly raised awareness, but it hasn't done anything for the movement. Religious persecution is at its worst it's ever been. And, you know, by any rubric, 25 years after Urfa, and, and, uh, the, the International Religious Freedom Act of 1998 is surviving but religious persecution is getting worse and worse every day. Yeah. And we've, had, we've talked about this, you know, small group of elders that are in charge, small group of NGOs that aggregate all the funds, and then you look at, by any rubric, it's, it's bad. And so I'm very critical about the elders and those NGOs. Uh, and so for someone like Knox to step out of that and to operate in a uh, dangerous space, you know, he's you know he's he's kind of in the in between other faith groups, but really in in the he's he's kind of in the throw of these other Christian groups that that claim certain things, right? I mean, he's got he's got you know the uh, Nick Nicholson, who's the Filios Project, who's who's he's all about pushing the just war concept. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus was all about war. I mean, he said that on a podcast. We're not, and we're not, you know, and and my colleague, you know, Matthew knows him really well. It's like, what, that's the complete opposite, right, of this. Well, one would hope so, yeah. Um, But, you know, so he's like, he's like, you know, fomenting more conflict. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, and saying, we're justified in doing it. And as Christians, we should do it. Forget about all this other stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and so it, it's, it's, 
the cool thing is that Knox is not approaching this from a, um, I think a, um, he's more of an advocacy and education perspective than it is, than it is try to butt heads with people. You know, he's saying, he's kind of saying like, here it is, this is it, it's right here, it's right, there's a scripture. We don't, you know, they're just war, you have to really interpret it, right? You yeah. have to really kind of add layers to it and stack it so that it goes a, far away from what the scripture is, right? In a very Pauline fashion, right? <laughs> so you have to kind of pull that out. But Knox saying, look, it's right here. And this is the education materials coupled with that. And here's the, the biblical justification. And that's, that's not easy to do. Mm-hmm. I've done it in my community and it's not easy to do because being very clear, concise, cogent, and on point with what we're charged with in our uh, religious writings is is can be treacherous. Yeah, and so um, I think it's a. I was like I said, very surprised at, at a lot of the stuff that I saw at the Earth Summit, but uh, but Knox's Knox's uh, new endeavor. Um, you know, it, it it's it's needed and it's like I said, innovative, but it's it's a long time coming. So I'm 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 well. It'd be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, I I totally agree. I, I think it's you know, and the the big point of reference in this conversation was uh, the the parable of the good Samaritan. Um, the context of that parable is that uh, someone asked Jesus, you know, what is the the greatest commandment? Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the good uh, kind of lawyerly question that resulted from that was, well, who's my neighbor? Who should I be loving? Who should I be helping? And the parable of the Good Samaritan says, you know, your neighbor is whoever needs you to be a neighbor in that moment. Right. Yeah. You know, regardless of other context. Yeah. And to to the extent that, you know, especially for evangelical Christians who in this place and time where we are, enjoy a great deal of freedom. Um, we should show gratitude for that freedom by advocating for the freedom of all people who need it. So, yep. There's a church uh, in Uptown that says, uh, love thy neighbor, and then in, in big letters, and then um, in bigger letters with multiple exclamation points, it says, no, no exceptions. Nine on the tension scale there, you know. Right. Like, you know, it's, it's really out there. But, yeah. You know, I, I, I mean, so my, my thing would be how do you balance, and this is maybe the question for next time, how do you balance the, the love thy neighbor with maintaining your the tradition of martyrdom? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we'll put a pin in that, John. <laughs> Thanks for your time today. I appreciate it.